Well, welcome to a new year, and we're going to start off the new year with a new series entitled, I Love Our Church. So, about a little over 20 years ago, when Renee and I moved into the house that uh, we currently live in, one of the things that we really liked about the house is it has a kind of an open floor plan, and, and it has high ceilings, and we especially like the fact that between the, the kitchen and uh, the, the dining room, it, it's kind of very opened, and that was one of the reasons that we purchased the house, because we, we really like that particular feature. But after we had been in the house for just a few weeks, we learned that even though we liked the way that openness felt, um, if you ran the dishwasher while you were trying to watch TV, it was very disruptive and very annoying. So, you know, we're thinking, okay, we can just can this dishwasher and get another one, but no, let's, let's just wait, you know, it'll go out probably soon enough, and then we'll replace it. Do you know that crazy dishwasher lasted for 25 years? You know, if we didn't like it, it would have went out after we'd been there six months, right? And even then, it didn't go out. It finally got where the baskets were so rusted that they were just falling apart, and it was cheaper to buy a new dishwasher than it was to replace the baskets. So about a year ago, we finally decided, because the thing wasn't ever going to break, that we were going to buy a new dishwasher and get rid of that annoying feature. So we began to go online. I say we, Renee did most of the homework for this, and uh, she was looking at reviews and all this kind of thing. And, and the, the thing that was really important was that it had a low sound level, that the, the decibel rating would be very low. So she finally found this, this really nice model. It was on sale, and uh, she checks it out, and so we buy it, and, and we bring home this, this new dishwasher with, with high hopes and high expectations. And, you know, I was going to install, or I did install the dishwasher, and I've installed several dishwashers, but this one, was, was a, I'll just say it was a foreign brand, and it was nothing like any of the other dishwashers I've ever installed. Like, instead of just like a straight plug-in cord, you know, like most appliances have, it had like this pin cord thing, like a computer printer or something, and you had to mount this special box behind it. It just had all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And so it was really frustrating for me just, just installing this thing. So by the time I had it installed or I finished with it, it had already lost some of its luster for me. But anyway, we, we start using it, and sure enough, it is so quiet. Like, it advertises itself as, like, the quietest dishwasher in the industry, and you can't hardly tell it was on. I mean, you still can't hardly tell it's on, but it has a problem. It doesn't dry dishes. It will not dry the dishes. Like... You can even put it on the highest, driest, high heat setting, whatever it is. You can tell I use it a lot, right? And, uh, and, and, and it still doesn't dry the dishes. And Renee just gets so frustrated with it. And she's been disappointed in it because it didn't match the expectations that, that she had for it when we bought it. And I'm not going to tell you what brand it is, but there's little dents on the bottom of the door where she kicks it and calls it a son of a Bosch. Just kidding. She doesn't actually say that. Am I supposed to say something like that in church? 
But it wasn't what she thought it would be. And you know, that's how a lot of people view the church. They have a preconceived notion of what the church is to be. They think maybe it's going to be judgmental. They think maybe it's going to be unfriendly. Maybe it'll be out of touch with the times. And maybe they hadn't even been in church for years. But yet, anytime when they hear it on the media or they're in the break room at work or wherever they are, whenever they hear you know, about the church, they just have these negative stereotypes that they've been fed or feelings that they've carried around with them for a long time that they attach to the church. And so we're living in this world where many don't see the value of coming together each week to worship. And they don't see the benefit of spiritual oversight or accountability. And these people tend to have a mantra, and here it is. They say yes to Jesus, and they say no to the church. And they would say that they have their reasons. And some are better than others. Maybe the issue for them is that when they were younger, church was just so boring and it just seemed like it was out of touch. Or maybe the church they went to, the preacher was angry and he yelled all the time and he just screamed and it just seemed like he was just always mad about something. Or maybe your pastor was just a monotone voice and he spoke the same way every time he spoke and it was like reading an assembly manual for a dishwasher. And after about three minutes of that, you're asleep. Or maybe it was the rituals and traditions that were there. Stand up, sit down. Maybe there was even languages that they were using that you didn't understand and it just didn't quite make sense for you or maybe it was your uncle everybody thought he was a solid christian man went to church every time the doors were open but he was just inappropriate maybe with you maybe with other people and you thought to yourself well if this is what a christian is i don't want anything to do with the church and if I had to summarize all the polling data about the church in America, and there's a lot of it out there, and I just kind of put that together and talked about the unbelievers and the uncommitted to the church, their battle cry is this. Jesus is still important, but the church is irrelevant. Now, why would that be? Here's what I want to suggest this morning. Maybe it's because they just don't see enough of Christ in the church. Now, while I completely disagree with that statement, I think we have to understand that, that people, there are reasons they say that, and they can justify their statement and their sentiment for a variety of reasons. Maybe they say, well, I had a bad experience with a volunteer at church. Or maybe they say, well, the church I went to, the preacher misappropriated the funds and, and I never got over that. 
Or we used to be super involved in church, but our feelings got hurt by an insincere church member. Or our church split, and I don't ever want to go through that again. Or maybe you've heard this before, because most of us have that go to church. There are so many hypocrites in the church. How could I go to church? And you know what I tell them? Come on, we have room for one more. They don't like it when I say that. But isn't it true? I mean, it's unrealistic to expect the church to be perfect when, and without flaws, when it's compromised, comprised of people who have flaws and are imperfect, especially those of us in the pulpit. And I think the problem is that what most people have when it comes to thinking about hypocrisy within the church is not so much that people aren't perfect, but they pretend they are perfect. And it's the lack of vulnerability and humility and acting like we don't have struggles or we have, don't have sins or we don't have slip-ups while we're looking down on others so they feel like they're not as good as we are. And you can understand if it's an outsider looking in, that could look like some, that could appear to be very repulsive. And I wouldn't want to be part of a church that was like that. You know, one of my children was helping a, once upon a time, was helping a, a music, a Christian music group. And it was kind of a paid thing that, that my child was, was helping them with. But they treated my child like dirt. They were negative. They were demanding in an unkind way. They were mean-spirited, fussy. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? That you're going to invite people to come to your singing event where you're going to sing about Jesus, but the way you're treating the people that you're paying to help you is just the opposite of that didn't match up didn't line up what if my child had not grown up in church and wasn't a christian what kind of impact what kind of impression would they have had because of that yeah i'm pretty much thinking they wouldn't want anything to do with it. that's what church is i don't want anything to do with it right listen to ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 and God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him, or Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. So you know what that verse is telling us? Christ is the head of the church. You can't separate Christ from the church. So that means in our culture, when we say, where people say they love Jesus, but they hate the church, they're, they're not understanding something. Those two things go together. So we're starting a series this morning, as I've mentioned, called I Love Our Church. And as I've kind of pointed out this morning, there are many thoughts when it comes to church. Some people have painful memories. Some people have very positive thoughts. But the church, through the power of Jesus Christ, has the ability to be life-changing and transformative. And so we're going to kind of challenge, maybe some of you may have preconceived notions of what the church should be. And so we're going to look at that. 
And you know, one of the most refreshing statements, I love when I hear this statement about our church, and it usually happens when people come the first couple times. They say something to me like, this church isn't anything like I expected. I love it when I hear that statement. They'll, maybe they'll elaborate a little bit. And they say, you know, I drove by and it's got the white columns and it's got the steeple. And, and then I came in here and it just wasn't anything like I expected. And you know what? Now that you're here, you are contributing to this being a different place than the way people perceive it to be. Just by the way that you are living. You folks, you're the church. Not this building, not this steeple, not these windows, not the pews. The people are the church. And you know our mission statement in here is to connect people to Jesus and to each other. And we're going to be talking about through this series, talking about that through this series. And we're going to be talking about the different aspects of that. And we're going to talk about the different actions that 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 represents to, to, to kind of clearly show what a healthy and vibrant church should be doing. And here's what I really hope you understand today and through this series. Understand that people's misconceptions about the body of Christ are not going to be changed by an organization. They will be transformed by the individuals. It's not the organization that's going to change people's opinion. It's going to be you. It's going to be the individuals. You know, if I drove by this place and wasn't familiar with it, I might wonder what was going on. I might wonder who the kook is that's in leading this charge here, so to speak. I mean, I understand that. But what if we radically love people? We love people in such a way that they see Christ in the church. And they see Christ in you. So today I want to kind of set some foundation, so to speak, for this whole series. And I think it all begins when we radically love each other. I'm just going to kind of unpackage that today. And I want to unpackage it by asking you two questions. The first question is this. Why is it so important that I love others radically? Well, here's the answer to that. Because those are the marching instructions that Jesus himself gave to us. And he shared them with his followers 2,000 years ago, and they apply to us today. We're going to kind of be topical this morning, uh, not so much expository, looking at some different scriptures in different places. And we're going to kind of jump over to John chapter 13 for a few moments. And in John chapter 13, you're kind of in the second half of the book of John. The first half of the book, Jesus has been, had a lot of public ministry. He's been engaging and dialoguing with people in temple courts and things like that. But when you get to John chapter 13 and for the rest of the book, he kind of narrows his focus and he really pours in to his disciples. And here in John chapter 13, and you're familiar with it, the upper room story and the Lord's Supper and, and those things, and he realizes that somebody is going to betray him, one of his closest friends, one of his disciples, before the night is over. And in verses 24 and 34, 
24 I'm going to read, and then 34 says something very similar to it. It says this, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus, who's going to be gone, to have died and rose from the grave not long from this time, his commandment is, his charge to his disciples is, love one another. And he makes no mistakes about it. He said the true mark of a disciple is that they radically love other people. Notice Jesus didn't say, try to love one another. He doesn't say, do the best that you can. He says, no, I'm commanding you to love one another. That's the kind of love. This is not cordial. This is not impersonal love. It's, it's a radical love that costs something. Did you know that the uh, New Testament was mostly written in Greek? And one of the reasons for that is because Greek is a very specific, very technical language. In fact, some people argue that it's the most specific and technical language that exists. And I think God understood that when he wrote the New Testament because th th those technical aspects of it help us understand things more. You know, sometimes you'll hear me say, well, in the original Greek it, it said this, or I'll say, you know, you could kind of translate this maybe a little bit better by saying it this particular way. And for example, one word is love. Now in the English, we have love. That's all we have. And so I say, I love sports. I love pizza. I love my wife. So my wife's like, so I'm on the same level as the Dallas Cowboys and pizza? Is that it? You know, you're kind of left with that. But in the Greek language, they actually have four words for love. And they each kind of have a, a different shade or a different connotation, so to speak, of what love is. So here's what I want to do. For the next about four minutes, I want to give you a lesson in Greek, so to speak. I took four years of Greek in college and seminary, so I think about four minutes is about all I remember. So that's, that's all you'll get, and so it'll be short and sweet. In our first service, we have a gentleman by the name of David Cox. He's a retired pastor. He should have been a professor. He brings his Greek New Testament with him and reads it while I'm preaching on Sunday mornings. Me, not so much. I have it there when I'm studying, and I have my dictionary, Greek dictionary there, too. But, uh, so trust me, this won't be long. But there are four words for love. And you, can get, you could get very specific about what you wanted that term love to mean. And you could be very accurate. So the first word I want to talk about is eros. And that's where we get our Greek, or where we get our English word erotic. And, it, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of a romantic love, and it, it's a sexual attraction, and it's sparks that, that are flying. And so we would kind of sum that up with a phrase like, it, it's kind of a very conditional love. I'll love you if you will do this for me. I'll love you if you look a certain way. And it was very based on feelings, and it's not based on commitment. So that's eros. Then there's a second group, and I'm going to kind of include two words in this group. And those two words are storge and phileo. 
Storge was a close friendship, like, like maybe you have a close friend. Maybe it's, it's somebody that you work with. Maybe it's somebody you play tennis with, somebody you've known for a long time. You have that close relation, friendship kind of relationship. So that's Storge. Storge. And then you have phileo. And that's talking about a family love. And so that love is based on the family. So like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. So it's phileo type of love. That's, that's what those two words mean. So you got, you, you got family love and, and, and friendship love, so to speak. And some of you got it and some of you are like, ah, this is all Greek to me today. But anyway. So phileo, brotherly love. Another one, or you know, family love, and then the the store J is is kind of that friendship. I love you because you're, you know, you're my friend. And then phileo is I love you because you're part of my family, and we're close knit, and we've gone through these different things together. And so those are those two types. Now eros is basically a very conditional love. I mentioned that. Then you get store J and you get phileo, and they're they're more of a They're not like unconditional, but they're not conditional either. They're kind of somewhere in between. But the fourth word, and you've probably heard this word before, and people make keychains and necklaces and stuff out of it, is the word agape. And that means unconditional love. And that's the word God uses when he talks about us, his love for us. It's unconditional love. It means I love you in spite of. It means I love you no matter what the mistakes that you have made. I love you regardless of whether or not you're going to reciprocate love back to me. I love you that much. That's agape love. You know, Christmas Eve, I was sitting here and in our worship service on Christmas Eve. And three of the ladies in, in our church were up here and they sang just a beautiful rendition of Breath of Heaven. I mean, they absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I'm sitting right there, and Billy, our youth pastor, is sitting next to me, and he's, he's getting ready to follow them and speak. He has to speak next. And I looked over at him with a little smile on my face, and, and I just said, I sure would hate to follow that. Good luck. There's not much brotherly love or family love in that, is there? So Greek class is over. You've all passed. But I want to point out to you that in that text that I read earlier, John chapter 13, verse 24 and 34, the word is agape. And so you could read it this way with this new Greek knowledge that you have. A new command I give you, agape one another meaning unconditionally love each other. As I have agaped you, so you must agape one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have this unconditional agape for one another. That's what God wants us to have. That's also what Jesus modeled for us. In other words, have a love for the unlovely. Have an affection for those who have ignored or rejected you. Care about those who are vulgar and dishonest and greedy. Come alongside of them and treat them 
with the love of Christ. If you can love the world like that, and I know it's hard, but if you can love your enemy, so to speak, if you can love the unlovely, if you can love the dishonest and the vulgar, you know what the world's going to do? They're going to sit up and take notice because they can't do that. Most of them can't do that. They just can't. It's not natural. That's not what you do. But when we do that, we show the kind of love that Jesus shows. And I know it's hard. I know it goes against our nature. But when we do that, it's evidence that Jesus is living in us. Have you ever loved on somebody or done something special for somebody and then thought to yourself later, I wouldn't have done that five years ago. You know what that is? That's God changing you. That's God transforming you and making you into somebody else. It means that you are resembling Jesus more and more as he works through you. That's agape love. And God modeled that kind of love for us, and he loves us that way. Agape love means there's no strings attached. It means that that you can't do anything to make God love you more. And it also means you can't do anything to make God love you less. It's total, unconditional love. Let me read another passage out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 reads, Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. There it is again. You can't separate Jesus and the church. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That makes no sense. It's like if you cut your own head off, you're going to be dead. Well, you can't chop the head off of, chop the church off and say that you love just the head. It doesn't make sense. So we come together each week. Why? So we can worship the Lord. So we can get our marching instructions from His Word. So we can all have the same purpose and the same mindset and going and be going in the same direction. So we can be unified. And when we are unified, God is glorified. And that is such a powerful picture to a world that is so skeptical of the church. And when we do that, we say we're on mission together. I love our church. We're on mission together. So that was the first question. Why is it important that I love radically? The second question is this. How? Can I love more radically? We're going to kind of start getting practical this morning. How can I love more radically? How can I take it to the next level, so to speak? How can I have that radical love for other people? You know, over in the book of 1 John, John, besides writing the book of John, wrote some letters called the Epistles of John. It says, Dear friends, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
I think basically there are two things that we need to think about when we're loving radically and we're showing that love. First is this. We must be intentional. You see, agape love is not an impulse, spur-the-moment type of love. It's something that you're intentional about. You get out of your comfort zone. You look for opportunities to love people. You're on the lookout for somebody that you might can lift their spirits by sending them an encouraging note or a, a text, but you're not expecting anything in return. You know, I've, I've watched in our church over and over this kind of love shown. I've been in our men's groups where spur-of-the-moment offerings were taken to, to help somebody with medical expenses. I know small groups in our church, if there's an issue or somebody has some struggles in their group, financial struggles, whatever it might be, that they will collect money to, to help that particular person. I hear about those kind of things all the time. I don't know how many folks in our church and outside of our church were blessed at Christmas time this year. I mean, I'd hear, you know, hey, there's somebody in the community, there's somebody in our church or whatever that, 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 that you know, Christmas is not looking very good. They just don't have the money this year. And then the next thing I'd hear would be, it's been taken care of. And people would come up to the staff and say, hey, here, here's a check. Here's, here's an envelope with some money in it. Use this to bless somebody at Christmas this year. That happened over and over. I've watched through the years as our church is so generously given when, when natural disasters occur. I've watched as our church has supported over and over missions in big ways. I have watched and I love the fact that our church watches over special needs children in a way that is special just for their needs. Burning Bush Baptist Church, you are amazing. But it's because Christ is amazing. And we reflect Him when, when we, we show that kind of love. People are drawn to Him. I love our ladies groups. They're always reaching out and they're always ministering to our community. They've always got a project going on. I should have brought this up last year, but just a busy time of year in May when this award we were presented this award. But last year we were presented, and you see this picture here if they'll throw it up there. That's a Mitzi Callahan, our children's director, and Kay Shipley, who was very involved in our women's ministries here. We were the Catoosa County Business Partner of the Year with the Catoosa County Public School System. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. I think some, let's give ourselves a hand. And it's just not Kay and, and uh, Mitzi that make that happen. It's the people of this church. And, and, and please understand, this is not about us as people. This is about Jesus working through us. That's what it's about. It's nothing to do with us. It's Christ working through us and us letting Christ work through us. I love to see our men meeting needs 
in our community, building wheelchair ramps for folks in the, in the community and replacing floors. And, and yesterday they started this major renovation project at a single mom's house in our church. I mean, it's a big project. This isn't like you go in there for four hours and, and, and just replace a floor. This is, this is a major project. And I bet there were 15 guys from our church and there was a few from uh, Oakwood Baptist Church over there too on a Saturday morning just giving up their time to, to, to really renovate a huge portion of this particular house. That's agape love. Nothing back, nobody is expecting anything in return. But it's intentional. And then the second thing is this. Unconditional love. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. But it means that you're doing things for people that maybe you wouldn't think about otherwise. Maybe they wouldn't even be on your radar screen except you're being intentional to, 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 to be aware of these kind of things and, and you're practicing this unconditional love. It means maybe the person that treats you so bad all the time, you write them an encouraging note. It means maybe that the neighbor that has been so nasty to you, you take their trash can from the curb and put it back wherever they keep it. It means that you leave a nice tip for the server at the restaurant and they can sense the fragrance of Jesus Christ flowing from you. I'm always amazed. I've had several children that were servers at different points in their lives. How people go to church and then they go to a restaurant afterwards and everybody knows you've been to church and then you're fussy with the server and you gripe and you're negative. Do you know what kind of impression that leaves on people? Leaves on especially those that are not believers? It, it's just awful. Treating people in an unkind way. Your kind words and your generosity will make far, a far bigger impression than the fact that you have church clothes on or you leave a track there. Your generosity and your kind words will make a much better impression. Why do I say that? Because you are an ambassador of Christ. You are a representative of Christ. And it doesn't matter what church you go to. You represent Jesus Christ. That, that, that's what we do. And we need to love people unconditionally with no strings attached. And your motives need to be pure. You know, I understand love is complicated and, and it's emotional and sometimes feelings do get involved. But, but sometimes we just pursue our own agendas. And maybe we even quasi-semi put love out there, so to speak, but really we're not doing it because we love somebody. It's just that we want to be seen in the community or maybe we're hoping our boss will give us a raise or maybe it's you scratch my back, I'll stretch your back. It's not really agape love. Remember what we said earlier? The reason some say yes to Jesus but they say no to church is because they haven't seen enough of Christ in the church. What if they did? And what if they saw it in you? John also writes, 1 John, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And there's that agape word again. Since God agape us, we ought to agape one another. And the phrase there, ought to, it literally means we're indebted. We must, we are obligated to do that. And that's what God wants us to do. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about 
church with a big C, referring to all churches, the universal church, or you're talking about churches with a little C, like the local church, like Burning Bush Baptist Church, both the universal church and the local church are made up of broken, messy people, and, and we're all a work in progress. And that's why we cling to what Paul tells us in Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not finished with any of us yet. You know, a while ago I kind of hinted at some stories, but I didn't give you very many specifics. I was just giving kind of generalities. But somebody shared a Facebook post with me. I don't, I'm not on Facebook, but somebody gave this to me back in the fall, I guess it was. And it's from a lady in our church, and I asked her permission to uh, share this with you. I love stories because they inspire us to be the person that Christ calls us to be. So I'm not going to give you the names, going to substitute some things in, but I just want to share this with you. It begins by saying, I'm going to make two long, sappy posts, so just be warned. I'm not going to read all of it, so y'all can be relaxed. Our church mission statement, this is, this is her talking, is connecting people to Jesus and each other. Life hasn't turned out how I thought it would, and it's not all bad and not all good, just not what I imagined. I've needed Jesus, and I've needed people more than I've ever needed anything else these past years. I recently read the first century church wasn't something experienced in a building on Sunday mornings. In fact, there wasn't a building. Church happened when people naturally gathered together to learn more about a man named Jesus from his friends, his apostles, and others who had seen the miracles he's performed. During these gatherings, there was such a sense of interconnectedness that if one person in the community was hurting then the others in the group would sell their possessions so they could help. They were the first Christ followers, or as we call them today, Christians. And they didn't meet in a church. They were the church. For me, much of this has been within the walls of my church, and I am thankful for that. But it's also been the conversations in the text, on the ball fields, and in my office, in my home. God brought me some wonderful people who've been counselors, friends, leaders, and hard truth-tellers that I needed. There are too many to name, but tonight a shout-out to my ladies on Wednesday nights. My time with them holds a special place in my heart. I love them, and they love me, and I look forward to those nights to recharge. I'm just going to substitute some things in here. I look forward to Mrs. S.'s heart. She cares for people well. I look forward to Mrs. B.'s humor, wit, and realness. I look forward to Mrs. K's sweetness and ability to look at her own self and share her heart in hopes it helps someone else. When I am sad or having an off day, I can always counter a hug or a hand placed on my back at a perfect moment for Mrs. E as she comforts. Mrs. T has been there and has let me, t and that has allowed me to talk to you in a way that no one, I can't with anybody else because you have lived it and your response then calms me. And she mentions our children's directors by name. Mitzi Callahan, I'm so glad you love my kiddos as they walk through these doors on Wednesday and Sunday. Your smile is so contagious and so genuine, but calling you my friend is the best part. You know, it's easy to love a church 
when that's been the expression you have received. But that's what church is supposed to be. A colossal collection of imperfect people, of broken and messy members and messy leaders and sinful leaders, but who are all intent on following in the footsteps of Jesus by radically loving God or loving people through God, people that God has placed in their paths. Listen to this. Love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. Would you pray with me, please?